From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for tuning in for a special Friday edition of Washington Watch. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and I hope you took the opportunity to cultivate a heart of gratitude. The more I experience life, the more I see the power of gratitude. The Bible's filled with instructions and examples of gratitude. A few passages of Scripture that immediately come to mind. Well, Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, gives this definitive command in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where he says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will is for us to be thankful. Now, ingratitude is the slippery slope we read about in Romans chapter 1. So if you missed yesterday's Thanksgiving program, it was all about gratitude. And I would encourage you to go back and watch it or listen to it. You can find it at TonyPerkins.com. Well, time to move on to today's program, for which I'm thankful. You will uh, hear from three very powerful men of God who spoke at this year's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. Pastor Jack Hibbs of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in California. Bishop Vincent Matthews, Missions President of Tabernacle Church of God in Christ, located in Mississippi, and Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. So in September, Family Research Council and FRC Action held our third annual Pray, Vote, Stand Summit, drawing Christian voters, sage cons. And by the way, if you want to know if you're a sage con, you can text sage con to 67742. That's S-A-G-E-C-O-N to 67742. We had sage cons from all over America come to our nation's capital. The summit addressed issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, religious freedom, the growing indoctrination in our nation's schools, gender ideology, the military, election integrity, and so much more. It was a phenomenal event. And uh, in fact, you can check it all out at prayvotestand.org summit. All the panels and keynotes are archived there, so again, check that out, prayvotestand.org slash summit. Well, among the speakers who took the stage was my battle buddy, Pastor Jack Hibbs, senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in California, and he talked about why Christians, including pastors, need to get involved in the political process. Here's Pastor Jack Hibbs at the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. Well, I want to thank everybody for being here. I want to thank Tony and the incredible... FRC team, and we're just delighted to be here, to be a part of what's going on, and I want to draw to your attention the fact that more than ever, our faith needs to take a stand. Now, that's just not Christian jargon. We need to do this church family like never before. The church has been marginalized, and uh, the church has been set aside. The church has been viewed as something irrelevant, and listen, let's be honest, much of that accusation against us is true. Somehow the church has gotten out of the lane of being the salt and light that God has called us to be. We live in an age of worry, an age of fear. And yet we as a nation, we should be above all nations able to take on fear because the founding of this nation was not upon some great government idea. It was not upon some great political idea. Let's be honest. It was about the Pilgrim Fathers crafting that Mayflower Compact of only, what, basically two paragraphs. And in that paragraph of our nation's birth certificate, William Bradford and others wrote what this nation's purpose would be. Number one, those guys were prophetic. They were announcing that to the shores they had brought 
themselves to be ones who propagate the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they came. We hear all kinds of news today about the 1619 project, that that's the truth. No, you know what? You can talk about 1619. Not all those guys that talk about it are not telling you the truth. There's truth to 1619. It all depends on where you focus. Because there was a big secular wave of those who came from Europe as well. Did you know that? They came here for profit. They came here for gain. But don't stop at 1619. Keep pushing back. Go back to 1605. When Pastor Hunt on the Massachusetts shores put up a tent as a sail, broken sail from his ship. And he preached the gospel to the natives. Who wants to talk about that? American history is full of the move of God. Israel can talk about God and her history and only the United States of America. Now, let me make something really clear because I'm constantly labeled as a Christian nationalist. You know what? I don't uh, accept labels. I don't accept intimidation and I don't accept bullying. I just don't believe in them. Let me say this about those who are labeled Christian nationalists. Did God bring this nation into existence? To deny that is to deny God's work and to deny God's history. And the nation of this uh, country of ours, it's history. If you love your country, if you're from Germany, don't you love Germany? If you don't love Germany, what's wrong with you? If you're from England, you should love England. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29 that for those who are put in a place by God in their community, they should pray and be involved in the welfare of their community so that you and others live at peace. What's wrong with that? Do I believe Jesus could come back? You want to be upset with me? I believe Jesus could come back tonight. I'm waiting for him to return. But if he doesn't return, I've got grandkids. And I've got to leave this nation in the right hands. But pastor, that's political. Let's talk about that. Should pastors be involved in politics? Listen, yes, especially if they're going to run for office. I know a lot of pastors that have run for office. Many have been elected. God bless them. But let's remember something. God established his sacred institutions. Israel's one of them. The church is one of them. Marriage is one of them. The family, right? And listen to this. According to your Bible, God established government. Did you know that? He didn't invent politics. That's what man does to government. When man doesn't want God involved in government, he turns it around, throws God out, and then makes it political. Look, I hail from the People's Republic of California. I should have walked out limping, right? With Newsom hanging on my leg. Everything the church does in California is under attack by who? Gavin Newsom and his henchmen. Listen, our freeways are falling apart. We've got fentanyl and homelessness everywhere. And the state used to be one of the most iconic places on earth. But under a constant Democrat leadership of godlessness. Hyper, hyper driven on abortion. So that our governor ran ads in other states announcing, come to California for free and have your abortion for free. You might say, listen, that's getting into politics, Pastor. You can't speak about that. I've heard this all of our 33 years as a church. You can't talk about marriage because that's a political issue. Really? I thought that was in my Bible. You can't talk about abortion because that's a political issue. Really? I thought that was in my Bible. You can't talk about gender. It's a political issue. 
Really? I thought that was in my Bible. Are you kind of getting the hint of what I'm talking about here? Everything that you and I do as a human being and as an American is based in the scripture. There is no place to set God aside. Jesus said to go into all the world and preach this gospel, the good news. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Let's admit it. Our nation is a nation of sin and we also are sinners. That's how we qualify for salvation. For crying out loud. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave for our justification. It's the preaching of the cross. And this nation used to preach the cross. Billy Graham and his great crusades were welcome across this nation. Now you raise Jesus in the public square and you better have a helmet on. Why? We are a post-Christian nation. And we're starting to reap the detriments of that position. But how did we get here? We got here by being silent, I believe, in two areas. Number one, I believe that all blame is to be laid at the foot of the church. Sorry, let me throw me and my brothers under the bus. When the pulpit wavers, the congregation wavers. And when the congregation wavers, then the community wavers. And then evil fills the void. And then you wonder why how in California there's a supermajority that we have to deal with that just constantly throws out things against our faith, against our freedom of worship to gather together. And when our governor said all marijuana dispensaries are essential, strip clubs are essential. All bars and liquor stores are essential. Then he shuts down other places and, and curtails Home Depot and other things like this. And he never answers about the church. He didn't mention the church. So we sent them a video. We're not hearing from you. Where do you put the church? I have to tell you, I was being kind of politically nice when I did that. At least I asked, I honored the office to ask him, where are you putting us? No answer. No answer. And I learned something. God said, listen, go for it. Here's the reason why. The church is not essential or non-essential. The church can't fall into a category. The church is transcendent. The church is a living, breathing organism born by the Holy Spirit, purchased by Jesus Christ in his blood. And the fact of the matter is, that was America's foundation. That's exactly what Samuel Adams and John Adams and George Washington, have you read these guys? Have you read them in their own language? Forget about historians. This nation allows you to read these men in their own writing. What did they say about Jesus Christ? The first Supreme Court justice of the United States Supreme Court. Guess what he said? John Jay. He said, if this nation is going to succeed, they better put Christians into office. Can you believe he said that? YouTube would cancel him today. (laughs) But we, listen, pastors have recoiled. Pastors have stepped back. In the hour of darkness, pastors need to step forward. They need to get up front. More than ever before. Well, we can't preach politics. Listen. Jesus said, listen, very good. Those of you from the Middle East, you'll get it like this. The rest of us, it takes a while. Do you remember when Jesus was being questioned? Do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And what did Jesus say? He says, give me a coin. And he held it up and he said, whose inscriptions on the coin? And the people said, Caesar's. So Jesus, listen carefully. Here's where it gets technical. Jesus says, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but to God, the things that are God's. Listen, tell me what does not belong to God. See, this is a mind bender. 
Everybody in the audience knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Oh my goodness, what a brilliant comeback. Jesus, that's incredible. You paid taxes, but you made it very clear that this coin belongs to Caesar, but Caesar belongs to God. Caesar lives in his palace, but the palace of Caesar belongs to God. Caesar's got his salad, but listen, that salad belongs to God. It all belongs to God. Everything's his. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, they'll glorify your father, which is in heaven. That's an amazing statement because Jesus is announcing that in the day of judgment, those that have been condemned because they didn't listen to the truth will have to admit You over there in the corner, you up there, you showed me the light and I was wrong and you were right and I wouldn't listen in the day of judgment. So listen, family who loves America, family of God, if you're here tonight, like never before, we need to make sure that as we move forward, frankly, I hope all of you, you're here because you're voters. I grew up in a Marine Corps home. If you didn't vote, you didn't live to see the next election cycle. I'll tell you that. But you got to vote. But vote from a biblical worldview. Well, you know, none of these guys, I don't know. You know, listen, what are you waiting for? Jesus to come back? Okay, me too. But he's not going to be on the ballot. You're not voting for Jesus, for crying out loud. You vote for the person who holds closest, closest to a biblical worldview value. All right, stick around. More of this special Friday edition of Washington Watch straight ahead. Everything we do begins as an idea. Before there can be acts of courage, there must be the belief that some things are worth sacrificing for. Before there can be marriage, there is the idea that man should not be alone. Before there was freedom, there was the idea that individuals are created equal. It's true that all ideas have consequences, but we're less aware that all consequences are the fruit of ideas. Before there was murder, there was hate. Before there was a holocaust, there was the belief by some people that other people are undesirable. Our beliefs determine our behavior, and our beliefs about life's biggest questions determine our worldview. Where did I come from? Who decides what is right and wrong? What happens when I die? Our answers to these questions explain why people see the world so differently. Debates about abortion are really disagreements about where life gets its value. 
Debates over sexuality and gender and marriage are really disagreements about whether the rules are made by us or for us. What we think of as political debates are often much more than that. They're disagreements about the purpose of our lives and the source of truth. As Christians, our goal must be to think biblically about everything. Our goal is to help you see beyond red and blue, left and right, to see the battle of ideas at the root of it all. Our goal is to equip Christians with a biblical worldview and help them advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square. Cultural renewal doesn't begin with campaigns and elections. It begins with individuals turning from lies to truth. But that won't happen if people can't recognize a lie and don't believe truth exists. We want to help you see the spiritual war behind the political war, the truth claims behind the press release, and the forest and the trees. Welcome back to this special Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to be with you. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, today we're broadcasting special content from this year's Prevote Stand Summit that was held in Washington, D.C. Among the many speakers this year was Bishop Vincent Matthews. He's the mission's president and pastor of Tabernacle Church of God in Christ in Mississippi. In his message, Bishop Matthews talked about the remnant of God which he said may be a minority in America, but it is a winning minority. And here is how he got in to his message. I want to encourage you, those of you who are here, uh, because it is a time for encouragement. It's easy for us to be in despair. I find myself sometimes getting angry, confused, uh, all kinds of emotions as I look at the news, at the real news and see what's going on. I get angry when I see the lies on the fake news. I see attacks on my identity. I see attacks on family, see attacks on the church, attacks on the church inside of the church, see attacks on communities, see attacks on the nation, see attacks sociopolitically throughout the world and things being exacerbated. As it was said yesterday, the things that we're seeing now were unheard of in the last five to 10 years. But they're happening. Much has happened due to our own complacency. The church itself has been asleep and has forgotten who we are. Forgotten that the church should be the light. And so I blame us. I blame us in many things. So I have a message today for two groups of people. Two groups of people to hear. The message first that I have is for the minorities in the room. Are there any minorities in this room? Well, first of all, I hope that you didn't have a knee-jerk, superficial, secular, utilitarian response to the term minority, um, because I believe there's a lot of minorities in this room. I don't know the ethnic or racial makeup in this room. I have no idea about the, uh, the balance of male-female gender in this room. I don't know about the sociological classifications of age in this room, what generation you're from. I have no idea of those demographics. I do not know what region of the country you're from, even though the previous speaker was from Mississippi, and I am also. So Mississippi holds prominent here today. Yeah. Uh, However, I recognize that there are only two cultures in the world. Now we have 7 billion people. No, excuse me, 8 billion people now in the world, but there are only two cultures. There's the culture of Christ and there's the culture of Satan. 
There's only two cultures, 7,500 languages, but only two cultures. I'm not defined by the color of my skin. I'm not defined by where I'm from, but where I am going. And so I talk to a group of minorities. I talk to some people and generally define what a minority is. You're a minority if you believe that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You're in a minority if you believe that the Bible is God's only word. You're in a minority if you believe that uh, people are not born good, but that they need a savior. You're in a minority if you believe that God manifests himself through his son, Jesus, who is God. You're in a minority in this country if you believe that Jesus is the only way to God. You're in a minority if you believe that God is love and he's a God of wrath. You're in a minority if you believe that God loves everyone so much that he gave us a choice to accept him or to reject him. And those that reject him will spend eternity uh, separated from him in hell. But those who accept him will reign with him forever in heaven. Am I talking to some people who are a part of the minority? Which culture do you really belong to? We've been miscategorized, misdefined, and put in other places, but I believe that we're part of a minority, but maybe it's a minority in America, but it's a winning minority. We're on the winning side. It may look like we're losing, but we're winning. And I read a scripture in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 20 to 23. It's a prophetic scripture that blessed me to no end, and I want to read it to encourage you just for a few moments. It says, and it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped out of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant will return the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. Notice it keeps talking about the remnant. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The, dis- the, dis- the destruction decreed shall con- uh, overflow with righteousness, for the Lord God of hosts will make, a de- will make a determined end in the midst of the land. This scripture, this prophetic scripture comes in a time of impending danger, impending uh, opposition through the Assyrians and Babylonians and against Israel because they had sinned, because they actually had forgotten who God really was. They talked about God, but they really didn't follow the God that they talked about. They talked about the word of God, but they weren't following the word. And because of that, God allowed things to happen. And I submit to you, my brothers and sisters, that the result of much that we see, as I said earlier, but I want to reemphasize, is that we have, we, and I say that loosely, but the church itself has forgotten the God of the Bible and has cowered back. They talks about the remnant, those that remain. There's three definitions, biblical definitions of the remnant. First of all, there are those who have survived a catastrophe or a tragedy would be seen as a remnant. And many of us have survived catastrophes and tragedies in our own communities. 
But it doesn't just stop there. The remnant also is defined by the faithful servants of God, distinguished about a group who with genuine spirituality and true faith relationship with God. Those are the remnant. But then the third definition, I believe, really applies to us because it's an eschatological definition. Those who are in the last days, who endure uh, the, 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 the judgments, the purging judgments of God, who endure the apocalyptic woes of the end time and emerge through all of that with victory, victoriously. I believe I'm speaking. I believe we're in the end of the end times, my brothers and sisters. That was Bishop Vincent Matthews. More to come on the other side of the break. But here's an opportunity for you to help make a difference for biblical truth this holiday season through FRC's Giving Tuesday campaign. Thanks to a $150,000 challenge match, all gifts given by midnight on Tuesday, November the 8th will be doubled. And if you choose to stand with FRC as a stand member, For $20 a month by Giving Tuesday deadline, we'll send you a free copy of George Barna's newest book, Raising Spiritual Champions. So text the word Tuesday to 67742. That's Tuesday to 67742. All right, stand by. We'll be back with more Washington Watch right after this. are born with the desire to find truth and meaning. Where did I come from? What happens when I die? While our answers to these questions may divide us, we are united in our need for the freedom to answer life's biggest questions and make life's biggest decisions for ourselves. That's why religious freedom matters for everyone. Religious freedom matters because the powerful have long wanted to control those who are less powerful. Religious freedom matters because the freedom of those who are different is often threatened by those who believe different is dangerous. Leah Sherabu, a Christian teenager in Nigeria, remains a captive of Boko Haram for her refusal to renounce her Christian faith. Chinese pastor Wang Yi is serving a nine-year sentence for speaking publicly against the Chinese government. In Pakistan, Asif Purvez is on death row for allegedly sending a blasphemous text message. All of this because people in power decided different is dangerous. At the Center for Religious Liberty at Family Research Council, we promote religious freedom for everyone because the only alternative is religious freedom for no one. We encourage Americans and the American government to engage and advocate for the persecuted. And they do. We work every day to bring good news to the afflicted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. We do it because that's what Jesus does. We work to give freedom to others because we ourselves have been set free. Welcome back to this special Friday edition of Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, today, as I mentioned, we're broadcasting special content from this year's Pray Vote Stand Summit. In this last segment, we, uh, in the last segment, we heard from Bishop Vincent Matthews, who's the 
president of the Church of God in Christ Missions. He's also the pastor of Tabernacle Church of God in Christ in Mississippi. And he shared about the three biblical definitions of the remnant, the third being an eschatological definition. And as Bishop Matthews pointed out, we may very well be in the end of the end times based on what we see today. We'll pick up from where we left off. I believe it's clear that everything has been fulfilled in the prophecies that Jesus gave us in Matthew 24, except for the fact that the gospel must be preached in every corner. We see it all. The brother who spoke before me talks about it. You will hear about it later today. We've heard about it yesterday. The prophecies are being fulfilled. But the beautiful thing is that you are a member prayerfully of the faithful minority. The reason why I say it's a minority, because Jesus said we're a minority. He said, uh, first of all, in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, that we must enter at the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. We see that the Pied Piper, the demonic forces are leading people to destruction. But there are many who go in by the narrow gate. Verse 14 says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, there are few who find the way. I pray that you, the remnant, will be encouraged. I pray that as you see what is happening, that not only will we pray, will we vote, will we stand, we will stand, we will stand with God. The scripture reminds me in Galatians chapter 6, yes, I'm quoting a lot of scriptures because it's only the scripture that will free us. Yes, I'm quoting the Bible because too often we talk about the Bible, but we don't quote the Bible. And then we quote the Bible, but we're not living by it. And when we live by the Bible, we will be free. The scripture says, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. God will not be mocked. We will not be made fools of. He said, if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap of the flesh corruption. But if we sow to the spirit, we'll reap eternal life. And so verse nine then says, therefore, let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season, we will reap if we faint not. I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, don't give up, don't faint. Don't stop speaking truth. Don't stop pushing back. Don't stop raising your families. Do not uh, have the illusion of inclusion. Do not assimilate, but stand firm and go countercultural just as Jesus did. So I talked to the remnant, but I said I want to talk to two groups. There's another group that I want to talk to here just for a moment in the last few moments that I have. This second group is also that I speak of today. You're, you've missed the most important things. There are some here, I cannot make the assumption that everyone here follows the God that we serve. There are many people talking about God, but they're not talking about the God of the Bible. There are many people talking about morality, but morality comes from a morality giver. Truth comes from a truth maker. There are some that like our politics, but not our king. There are some that like our common sense, but not our eternal destiny. There are some who are pragmatic, but that they do not want to be redeemed. Some of us seek love and want the world to be loving, but reject the one who is love, and God himself is love. I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters, we agree on many different things, but I offer you an opportunity to join the remnant, our winning culture. Repent. Do not put your hope in the oppressors. We just saw that in the previous scripture in Isaiah 10. No longer will they put their hope in the oppressors. Democrats cannot save us. 
But the truth is, Republicans cannot save us. There are people who call themselves Republicans who are doing damnable things. There are people who are Democrats doing damnable things. I've put my hope in politicians. I will vote. I will never vote for a politician who kills babies and mutilates children. I'll never do that. I'll never vote. I don't care what label they call themselves. But my hope cannot be in a politician. It has to be in the one who created the politician. There is a higher authority than the Supreme Court. And I give my appeal to heaven. And as we appeal to heaven, God will show himself. There are some who disagree with us, but the good news is that Jesus is our king. The good news is that if you repent, the kingdom of heaven is to come. This is the message that Jesus taught. This is the message that John the Baptist taught. This is the message that the apostles taught in dark times. It's the message that we must teach. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We've become a part of an army and you too can join this army. Accept his love. Accept his rule and his culture, then you will accept your freedom. We cannot give what we do not have. There are many people that say they want us to be loving, but if you don't have God, you cannot truly love. And so we must have God. So there is no freedom without worshiping God. When Moses said, let my people go, that they may be free, it wasn't just for freedom's sake. Without a vertical relationship, the horizontal relationship means nothing. Let my people go so that they may worship God. We want freedom so that we may worship God. This must be a nation. Our city must be cities where God is preeminent, that he is worshiped, he is king. And when he is king, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Again, that was Bishop Vincent Matthews at this year's Pray Vote Stand Summit. If you'd like to hear more of the great speakers we had this year, go to prayvotestand.org slash summit. By the way, coming up, Giving Tuesday. And thanks to a $150,000 challenge match, all gifts given by midnight on Tuesday, November the 28th will be doubled. So if you'd like to stand with us as we stand for truth here in our nation's capital, simply text the word Tuesday to 67742. All right, stick around. More Washington Watch to come. The world is hurting. Streets are filled with crime. Families are broken. Sin is celebrated. And God is mocked. Everywhere we look, the wages of our sin are on full display. As Christians, we know that surrender to God's will is the solution to our biggest problems, but not everyone agrees. Even in church, we hear people say the most important thing is to be tolerant, that we shouldn't impose a morality on other people, and that loving our neighbor means celebrating what they do. But you can't do that. It's not that you don't love your neighbor. You do. But you care about God's opinion more than your neighbor's opinion, and this makes you different. In fact, sometimes it makes you feel alone, like you are the only one. But there is good news. You are not alone, not even close. Research has found that there are 59 million American adults who are a lot like you. There are millions of people around the country who are born again, deeply committed to practicing their faith, and believe the Bible is the reliable Word of God. But that's not all. They're also engaged in our government. They're voters. They're more likely to be involved in their community, and they're making a difference in elections. The problem is that a lot of them feel alone, too. We want to change that. 
FRC wants to connect these 59 million Americans to speak the truth together, no matter the cost. If you want to learn more about this group and what it means to be a spiritually active, governance-engaged conservative, or if you want to find out if you are one of these sage cons yourself, go to frc.org slash sagecon and take the quiz to find out. The world is hurting, and we have the solution. We can't do it alone, but we can do it if we work together. That's what we're working toward every day. Join us. Go to frc.org slash s-a-g-e-c-o-n, sagecon, to learn more. That's s-a-g-e-c-o-n, sagecon, to learn more. I'm often asked by people, Tony, how do you stay encouraged? How do you deal with all of the stuff in Washington, D.C., the negative policies that are attacking our faith, our family, and our freedoms? Well, you want me to let you in on the secret? It's called the Word of God. And that is why the Family Research Council embarked on Stand on the Word, a two-year journey through the Bible. It's a chronological Bible reading plan with just 10 to 15 minutes a day. In two years, you will have covered the entire Bible. And to go along with this, Monday through Friday, I do a morning devotional that goes along with the reading of the day. It's all designed to encourage you on this journey because the Word of God, as the psalmist said, in my affliction, here's my comfort, your Word gives me life. That is our source of strength. To find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com or FRC.org slash Bible. And I invite you to join me every morning for our Stand on the Word Bible Devotion. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this uh, Friday as we're looking back on this year's Prevote Stand Summit that was held in Washington, D.C. We had great speakers. Lord, The Lord just blessed the, the entire event. And if you missed it, well, you can still find it. Go to prevotestand.org slash summit. But I, I'm giving you some of the highlights. And uh, closing us out today, Pastor Gary Hamrick, Senior Pastor, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, who made clear that this is not the time. It's not the time for Christians to disengage and check out. It is a time for every follower of Christ to engage the culture and be an instrument of change. Here is Pastor Gary's message. Well, I heard the story about a family that moved across the country and bought a home in Palm Desert, California. And, um, Friends of theirs wanted to send a, just kind of a homewarming gift, a bouquet of flowers. So the owners of the home received this bouquet of flowers, but the florist had accidentally written on the card with the bouquet of flowers, rest in peace. (laughs) And so the homeowner called the florist and said, hey, friends of mine sent bouquets of flowers, and you all put the note card saying, rest in peace. The florist apologized profusely, our bad, so sorry, but please have a little compassion. And the owner said, why should I have compassion? The florist said, because somewhere right now, there's a funeral with a bouquet of flowers and a note that says, welcome to your new location. We hope it's not very hot there. That's what you call sending mixed messages. (laughs) Has anybody noticed that of late in our culture, there are a lot of mixed messages? 
We believe in science. Follow the science, they say. And they do, then they don't even acknowledge basic biology of two sexes. Then they'll say things like, my body, my rights. And then they'll force you to take a vaccine or lose your job. They'll say things like, children should be able to transition without parental permission. And then they enforce parental permission when those children need a Tylenol. We are living in a time when the world has lost their ever-loving mind. And here's the thing. They want to try to convince us that we're the crazy ones. C.S. Lewis once said, when the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. Well, we're running in the opposite direction because the world is promoting things that are on the precipice of a cliff. And unfortunately, there are many pastors who are sitting back and not addressing any of these issues from the pulpit, saying, well, we just don't want to get too political. Have you heard that? We just don't want to get too political. As if it's too political for the church to address the social evils of the day. Was it too political when some Christians like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, stood up against Nazi Germany? Bonhoeffer said the church is the conscience of the state. The Nazis executed Bonhoeffer in 1945 at the age of 39. Was it too political for Christians like Wilberforce, William Wilberforce, who stood up against slavery? Wilberforce said, quote, Let it not be said that I was silent when they needed me. He said, if it be feelingly alive to the sufferings of my fellow creatures as to be a fanatic, then I am one of the most incurable fanatics ever permitted to be at large. It's not political to oppose Nazi Germany. It's biblical. It's not political to oppose slavery. It's biblical. Was it political when Christians like Pastor John Peter Mullenberg of Woodstock, Virginia, stood up to the tyranny of Great Britain as it had to do with oppressive taxation and the denial of religious freedom. No, it was biblical. John Peter Mullenberg, on January the 21st, 1776, stood up in his pulpit, preaching from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where it talks about there's a time for this and a time for that. He got to verse 8, where it says, There is a time for peace and there is a time for war. And Pastor Mullenberg looked at his congregation and he said, surely this is not a time for peace. This is a time for war. And he unzipped his black clerical robe to reveal an officer's uniform in the Continental Army. And he marched to the back of his church and he called his men to fight with him. And 300 men left to fight with him and formed the 8th Virginia Brigade that is still active today. These are people who understood... That it is not political, it is biblical. True Christians have never been afraid to address the social evil of their day. The church must be, and still must be, the restraining force against evil in our day. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So why all the fuss of late about how we shouldn't be all that political in our churches? Friends, listen. I haven't gotten political. Those with opposing views and values have gotten evil, and they have snubbed 
their nose at God and God's word. That's what is happening in our culture today. I haven't left my lane. I've been preaching from the same Bible for the last 30 plus years. I've stood in the same place, preached from the same book, and addressed the same issues for the last 30 plus years. The sanctity of life, from the womb to the tomb, it's in the Bible. The design of marriage between one man and one woman, it's in the Bible. God's design of two biological sexes, it's in the Bible. God's design of multiple races and how all lives matter and all lives are equal before God. It's in the Bible. God's desire for the borders of a nation to be defined and defended. It's in the Bible. God's desire for parents to be the responsible caretakers of their children and not the government. It's in the Bible, friends. These are all biblical issues. I haven't left my lane. Those with opposing views and values have jumped the grassy median strip. They've come into our lane and tried to hijack the narrative on social and moral issues. As if a godless generation can tell us what is right and what is wrong. The more, the more progressive, the more progressive and the more godless our culture becomes, and the more that godless agenda infiltrates culture and the church to drive things further and further left, the more people like you and I will look extreme right when the reality is we've just been standing still. We've just been standing still in the same place the whole time. And then they want to label us as political uh, Nash, Christian nationalists. You guys are political Christian nationalists. Um, you know, that's what they're going to say when they've gone godless. They're going to look at us and say stuff like that. Listen, I am not a political Christian nationalist. I am a practical Christian biblicist who believes that Jesus is the only hope for America. Jesus is the only hope for America. But that hope will not be realized unless pastors are teaching the truth, Christians are living the truth, and the world is hearing the truth through our lives. That's the only way this is going to happen, friends. So we have to get on board with all of this. Martin Luther once said, quote, if you preach the gospel in all aspects, with the exception of the issues which deal specifically with your time, you are not preaching the gospel at all, end quote. From the 14th to the 7th century B.C., the dominant empire in the world was the Assyrian Empire. They were a ruthless people. Whenever they would take captive a city, they would rape the women, enslave the children, and fillet the men. History teaches us that the Assyrians would often skin men alive and use their skin like wallpaper to adorn the walls of the Assyrian kingdom. They were ruthless. Their, their modus operandi was domination by intimidation. We will use fear tactics. We will use terror. We will use everything we can to dominate you through fear. That was their motive. The Assyrian Empire, they dominated by intimidation. Around the 7th century BC, the Assyrian Empire started to wane. 
And then the dominant empire that grew up to overtake the Assyrians were the Babylonians. The Babylonians had a very different way to subjugate people. Example, in 586 B.C., when the Babylonians finally overtook and besieged Jerusalem, they used a tactic that was not domination by intimidation. It was domination by assimilation. And they would take you captive, as they did thousands of Jews in 586 B.C. They would deport you to Babylon, where they would introduce you to a very beautiful, opulent, elegant city. Herodotus writes about how Babylon was just a beautiful city. The Euphrates River glistened in the sunlight and split through the ancient city of Babylon. One of the wonders, seven wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. It was beautiful. By the way, somebody please tell President Biden, there aren't nine wonders of the world. And sorry, Grand Canyon didn't make the list. Anyway, (laughs) seven wonders of the ancient world. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon was one of them. And here come these prisoners of war into this beautiful, beautiful city of its day. It was like stepping into Disney World uh, pre-rainbow flags and men in dresses welcoming you to the Enchanted Chambers. Anyway, as they get in there to Babylon, they are, they're overwhelmed by the beauty. They're overwhelmed by how spectacular it is. And then the Babylonians would systematically indoctrinate you. They would introduce you to a new language, new religion, new culture, new food. They would even change your name. They would say, you are no longer who you thought you were. You now belong to us. You're like us. And people would be seduced by all that Babylon had to offer. That's the reason why many Jews, when they had the opportunity, never decided to return to Jerusalem. They loved it and were too comfortable. They had become part of the Babylonian culture. But there were a few exceptions. And one of those was a 15-year-old Jewish boy by the name of Daniel, whom they had taken captive to Babylon And Daniel was not impressed by Babylon. He was distressed by Babylon. And he never forsook the Lord his God. He would never bow down to the culture, never bow down to the king, never bow down to anything that was influenced or indoctrinated upon him. He knew who he was. He understood who God was. And he was forever faithful even into his latter years. And God would use Daniel to speak truth to power Daniel would influence three different kings over the course of his life. And he never wavered in his devotion to the Lord God Almighty. Friends, listen to me on this. Babylon has come to us. We are now in Babylon. There's a new speech. There's a new culture. There's new everything. There's new philosophies. There's even a new name for you if you don't like your own pronouns and your own names. Babylon is here, and the question becomes, will we be conformed to Babylon, or will we transform Babylon? Because it's only one or the other. You will either be squeezed into the mold of our culture, you will either conform and become like Babylon, or you will do your part to transform Babylon as long as God has given us breath to be his influence in a fallen world. And that's what God calls us to be. I, for one, want to make a difference. I love our country. 
I love Jesus supremely, and I know that he's our only hope for our nation. And to hear pastors and Christians talk about, we just don't want to touch those hot topics, we don't want to get political. Well, you're not living up to your calling then. Listen, this is the time for Daniel's. This is the time for Esther's. This is the time for every Christ follower to engage the culture and be an instrument of change through the person and power of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to us, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And no one lights a lamp and hides it under a bowl, a bowl but puts it on a stand so that it might give life, light to everyone in the household. In the same way, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This is our mandate. This is our calling. We must not check out. We must not resign and say, well, Jesus is coming again. Let's just go to Chick-fil-A. Listen, Jesus is coming again. But until he comes, he says, occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. This is not cry, mope, and sit. This is pray, vote, and stand. Who's going to stand with me? Amen and amen. God bless you all. Again, that was Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Great content from this year's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. If you'd like to peruse all of the speakers we had, simply go to prayvotestand.org slash summit. All right, until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 